Psalm 46 verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Thank you, choir, for singing to the Lord. If we don't sing, the rocks are going to do what? Cry out. We don't need any rocks crying out in Bay St. Louis. Luke chapter 5. If you have your Bible, please turn to Luke chapter 5. Sermon title this morning is Extraordinary Christ. Christ is extraordinary. Miriam Webster defines extraordinary as being out of the ordinary. It's noticeably different from what is generally found or experienced. Beyond ordinary. Exceptional. That's who this Jesus is. He's remarkable. He's incredible. There are no words to describe Him. There's been many religious teachers in the world, but there's been nobody like Jesus. Mahatma Gandhi, who was from India, said powerful words, but he didn't talk like Jesus. Joseph Smith, founder of the Mormon church, talked about forgiveness, but he could not guarantee it. Jesus can. Muhammad, the Islamic prophet, talked of revelations from God. But Jesus is the revelation. This morning we have an extraordinary Christ. He does not change. He's unchangeable. He's inalterable. He's immovable. As you turn to Luke chapter 5, verse 12, there's two different passages we will see in Luke chapter 5 this morning. I'd like to share with you a story about when Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson went camping in Bay St. Louis. They pitched their tent under the stars and went to sleep. Sometime in the middle of the night, Sherlock Holmes, he woke up Watson and said, Watson! Look up at the stars and tell me what you suppose has happened. Watson replied, I see millions and millions of stars. And Holmes said, What is your conclusion from that? Watson replied, Well, I got a little Australian there in my accent. If there are millions of stars, and even if a few of those have planets, it's quite likely there are some planets like Earth out there. And if there are a few planets like Earth out there, there may also be life. Sherlock Holmes said, Watson, you blockhead, it means someone stole our tent. Some of you will take a while to get that joke. Emmanuel has to translate that four times because he can speak four, tra- four languages. But many of us, this is how we view Scripture, the Word of God. We come to it every Sunday, and we're trying to see what God's going to do next week, or what God's trying to say about this big thing in our life, or, or what, or, or what uh, it is deep, right? It's powerful. Each verse has a meaning, but it has thousands of applications. And so, 
I think sometimes we come to God's Word and we're looking for the profound, and the profound is in the simple. And we miss maybe what God is saying to us. By the way, do you revere the Word of God? I mean, do you, does your wife or your husband know that you revere the Word of God? Does your children, parents, do they know that you respect and revere the Word of God? Do you esteem it in front of them? Do you respect it? When it comes to time in worship, when we, we open up this book that we have in our language, do we tune out when we read the Scripture? I want to encourage you this morning to tune in to what God is saying. To what He wants to say to you. There's two profound truths this morning I'd like you to see. Number one, Jesus can cleanse our sickness. Jesus can cleanse our sickness. And this morning, if you have had a tough week with the pollen, that's good news for you. If you have something a lot more serious, this is good news for you. The Lord Jesus can heal us completely. Look at verse 12. We'll read verses 12 through 16. Luke chapter 5, verse 12 through 16. While he, he being Christ, was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. The Lord has the power to cleanse us completely. We'll go through these few verses one at a time. Verse 12. This man has leprosy. Jesus shows up and He fell on His face, the Bible says. As a sign of submission. As a sign of declaring, you are the Lord. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. When was the last time that you fell on your face before the Lord? When was the last time that your heart was respectful in that way to this man who created the stars, who created the earth, who was God and there is no other? You see the attitude, the humility of the leper. He fell on his face and he said, Lord, if you will, God, if you're willing, God, I believe you can heal me. And Jesus was willing. Notice what he says. He says, I will. Be clean. When the Lord said be clean, it, it meant the word there used for clean is to cleanse from ritual contamination. In, in, order, in other words, to clean everything. It's kind of like when your wife uh, just kind of goes crazy at midnight, start cleaning the house, and she just, anybody's husbands have that problem? I mean, they just get in this 
this mode and they, they invite you to join them and they expect everything. I mean, it's just, you may go till 3 a.m. What Jesus did in the life of this leper is He cleaned him completely. With one word. One word. It takes many words for Satan to beat you up. But it only takes one word for Jesus to heal you. Matthew chapter 8, the centurion, he said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come underneath my roof. But if you'll say the word. If you will say the word, then my servant will be healed. Leprosy was a terrible disease and many people today still have leprosy. We can manage it a little better today, 2018, but today it's called Hansen's disease. Leviticus chapter 13 verse 45 says, Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkept, cover the lower part of their face with their hand, and cry out, unclean, unclean. Terrible life for a leper. What if the thing, church, that you are most ashamed of and the thing that you are most embarrassed about was shouted to those around you every day, all day? Wow. Unclean. Unclean. Can you imagine the shame, the guilt, the brokenness, the hurt, the pain? Until Jesus showed up and He healed this man completely. Not only physically, He he healed him inwardly, spiritually. Jesus made him whole. And then look what happens. Verse 14, He charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest to make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded. You see, the Old Testament was very clear to Jewish people. The instructions, whenever they were to go to the priest and be verified to find out if they in fact had been cured of leprosy. And there was a protocol to go through. But most importantly, the Lord wanted this leper to go and to testify about what he had done in this life. When was the last time you testified to somebody about what the Lord has done in your life? I mean, it's easy to come here and sing about it. But it's very powerful. It encourages people in the bay when we talk about the Lord, when we testify about what God has done in our life. People are looking for hope. They're looking for some good news. And we have it if you are a believer this morning. So we should testify, just like the slipper. Tell people what the Lord has done in our life. It's not complicated. Next we see in verse 16. By the way, verse 15, uh, word spread, a report about Him went abroad which meant that word report means logos is the the news, the intelligence. The CIA has intelligence, right? The intelligence report was that news was spreading. The fame of Jesus was spreading. Word had gotten out. People, crowds were coming in large number. They gathered to hear Him. Because they they heard that He could heal completely. This was, had to be exhausting for the Lord. Look in verse 16. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. He would withdraw to 
desolate places and pray. Where is your desolate place this morning? Do you have a desolate place that you go to? Did you spend time with the Lord? Maybe it's your car. Maybe it's the swing on your back porch. Maybe it's a recliner at your house. Maybe it's a place, a fishing hole that you like to go. You might not catch any fish there, but you like to talk to the Lord there. Do you have a desolate place? Jesus did. There's a missionary by the name of Jess Jennings. He runs an organization in the IMB called Nehemiah Teams. A personal hero of mine that's impacted my life greatly. And I was able to help him at an event one time. He was basically an orientation for many missionaries, college students, sending them to the darkest places in the world. And Jess Jennings just has all of this energy. And he's so excited. And he moves fast. And he talks fast. And he's so excited about the Lord. And from early in the morning to late at night, he just is filled with this energy. And I, I remember thinking, how does he sustain this? How does he, he keep that joy? And so, I followed him all day long. And a couple of times throughout the day, he would disappear. And the first time I followed him, I said, Jess, what are you doing? And he said, I'm filling my cup. And he would go and he would lay down on the ground three or four times during the day for five to ten minutes. And he would basically take a little cat nap. He'd take a moment to slow down, clear his mind, put his thoughts and heart and focus on Jesus, breathe, and then he would go on with his day. I think we all need to learn from that. Don't we? Most Nations in the world take siestas, a little afternoon time out at one o'clock. Many countries, businesses shut down all over Europe, all over Asia, all over South America, all over Central America, but not in America. It's a human nature. We need to slow down, be still, and know that God is God alone. Emmanuel, he's been staying at our house, and I think of Emmanuel. Every night when we're finished eating, he retires to his room. He gets away. Sometimes he calls pastors. Sometimes he calls his family. You'll hear papers. He's doing paperwork. Sometimes he's sleeping. It's a desolate place for Emmanuel. Please don't tell my wife I said that our room in our house is desolate. She may not like that. Where's your desolate place? I mean, it's one thing to talk about the Lord, but it's another to spend time with Him. To be with Him. My sheep, they know my voice. They follow me. Next we see that Jesus heals a paralytic. Truth number two this morning. Jesus can forgive our sin. I know that's so simple. Think about it. Jesus can forgive our sin. I mean, how do you know this morning that your sins are forgiven? Are they? Are they forgiven? 
The truth is, probably many people in this room today, this morning, your sins are not forgiven, friend, because you probably may have not repented of your lifestyle sin and asked God to forgive you. You've not asked to receive the grace of God that was purchased on the cross. It doesn't just happen. It happens through Christ, through repentance and faith in the Gospel. This morning, your sin's forgiven. If they're not, Jesus can forgive you. We see in this next passage, let's read it together, verses 17. And we'll go all the way through 26. It's kind of a long passage, so if your neighbor kind of starts snoring a little bit, just elbow him in the ribcage. Verse 17, On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, or some would say the roof, and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the mist before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Exactly, they had a good point. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, He answered, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And and immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Wow. Jesus can forgive our sin. In this passage, there's three different types of fans in the crowd. This week, if you care anything about the NCAA basketball tournament, you'll notice these three types of fans. Number one, some came just to watch. They came just because maybe the basketball tournament was in their city and they didn't have anything else to do, so they thought, we'll go down there and watch that game. And so some of the crowd, they just came to watch. They came just to see the sizzle, came to see what was going to happen. They didn't really get involved. They didn't want to get involved. They didn't want to sacrifice anything for the cause of Christ. They were just taking up space and using up oxygen. Next you see another type of fan. Some of the crowd came to hear the Word of God. They came to be all in in the game. You'll see some fans this week watching a basketball tournaments. Some of these, it's so funny when the camera goes to the crowd. Some people look like they're bored as they can be and other people are just jumping up and down out of their mind. Makes me think Paul said we need to become undignified for the cause of the Lord. 
But the, some people came. They came. They were jumping for joy when God healed people, when God moved, when He did certain things. They were hanging on every word. They were there to hear a word from God. They were desperate. They were looking for encouragement. They came for a healing touch. Another fan you'll see in this story is that some came to listen and to criticize. And you'll see here in uh, verse 17 that Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And they came. Now it's one thing to criticize. We all need positive critique. We need critique in our life. We all need it, every one of us. But there's a difference between criticism and a critical spirit. And these Pharisees brought a critical spirit. You see, they didn't, back to the basketball analogy, they didn't come, they they came just to yell at the refs. You know, they didn't even have a dog in the fight. They didn't care who won the game. They just wanted to complain about the referees. You see that on social media. Somebody's, uh, people are complaining about the referees. They don't even have a team in the game. It's It's funny. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law here in this story, they had a critical spirit. Their spirit was not to build people up or to provide solutions. They just wanted to complain about the problems. So if someone says, it has come to my attention or I was made aware of, many times it's come. what's coming next is a judgmental evaluation about a certain thing that they probably know nothing about in which they are not providing a solution. Our media is good at this, right? To talk about all the problems, but never to provide a solution. A critical spirit tears down. It's harmful. It never builds up. It hopes for the worst. It wants others to fail. It expresses opinions without facts. It always questions motives. The Bible says that love of a Christian is this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Love believes all things, it hopes all things, and it endures all things. That is love, and that's what we should be about. Charles Spurgeon, the famous pastor preacher, shares a story one time, him and some friends saw a drunk falling in an alley. The other men laughed and made cutting jokes about the drunk. Charles Spurgeon had a tear in his eye. Spurgeon said, but for the grace of God, I am that drunk. The other men were silent. I don't know about you, but I, don't, I know from my own life, but for the grace of God, I would be in trouble. What about you? Next in verse 18, we see that some men, they were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed And they were seeking to bring Him in and lay Him before Jesus. But the crowds were so large, they could not get to Jesus. They couldn't even put Him through the window. There were so many people pressing in on this house. So what did they do? Well, they do what any good friend does. They do whatever it takes to help you. And so they climbed on top of the roof. They peeled back some ceiling tiles. They dug a hole big enough. They totally ruined this house. They... They, they were going to have a flood problem next time the hurricane came through. 
they lowered their friend into this room. And even Jesus was impressed with this. By the way, if the Lord's impressed, it's impressive. Verse 20, And when He saw their faith, He saw their faith. Now their faith was also included the man who was paralyzed. And He said, Man, your sins are forgiven. There's some people in the house today. There are some men who need to hear that from God. Man, your sins are forgiven. But, Lord, no buts. Your sins are forgiven. There's some women, some ladies in the house today. You need to hear that. Your sins are forgiven. Pastor, I don't feel like it. Friend, it doesn't matter what you feel when God says it. Your sins are forgiven. And for the Christian, when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, your past sins, your present sins, and your future sins are covered at the cross. But you receive that grace by faith. And so this morning, if you've never come by faith to receive Christ as your Lord and to ask Him to forgive you, And friend, you're going to stand condemned. You're going to stand before God Almighty and you're going to have to give an account for your sins. Don't leave this place today without asking God to forgive you. And when you ask forgiveness, it involves repentance. It means agreeing with God that sin is sin, but also turning away from as far as you can control in the moment. You say, well, I'm afraid I'm going to walk back out there and I'm going to fall back into that sin. You may. But the righteous man gets up, gets back up, comes back to the Lord. And the enemy, the same lies, what he's going to say is, well, you've messed up, you've disappointed God, just stay here. Just stay here in this pit and continue to sin. Continue to sin. Continue to feed your flesh. That's what Satan wants you to think. Man, God's so upset with you. He's not going to take you back. Friend, He'll take you back a million times. But He don't want you to continue to struggle with that stronghold. He wants to deliver you from that stronghold. And sometimes it takes accountability. Sometimes it takes friends and the Lord. Sometimes it takes just putting yourself in the right situation. Not putting yourself in a bad situation. If you struggle with alcoholism, you probably shouldn't hang out at the bar. It's probably not wise. If you struggle with lust, you probably should not spend time alone on any device. If it means getting rid of your cell phone, take it back to the store. They'll take it back. If it means not watching television, stop watching television. Do whatever it takes. I mean, did God create the earth and the cosmos? Is He the living God Almighty? Is this His his world? And if you're His son or daughter, He says, do not touch that fruit. Don't touch it. Friend, it will be good for your life. God doesn't want to take fun things away from you. He wants you to experience the Christ-filled life, which is more fun than anything that you will taste in this world. You don't believe me? Try it. I dare you. Trust the Lord completely. 
But these friends brought Jesus. They did whatever it took. When was the last time you did whatever it took to bring somebody to Jesus? There are people in our path that are in trouble. And if it weren't for the grace of God in our life, we'd be in the same situation. We are responsible with good news. We have a good gospel. We have gospel truth. We're responsible. We have good news that Jesus can heal people. Jesus can heal broken marriages. He can bring home the lost son or daughter. He does it every day on the earth. I heard a story two weeks ago. The leading atheist at Stone County High School, Stone County, leading atheist, senior at Stone County, received Christ as the Lord, his Lord and Savior, and was baptized in a Baptist church. And now the second leading atheist at Stone County High School is asking spiritual questions. Don't say what God can't do. Jesus saves, and He saves today. Verse 20, it was their faith that caused God to act. I wonder, what, all thing, what is God waiting on to do? And what He's waiting on is your faith and my faith. Is He offended by our lack of faith? Probably. So this morning, two profound truths. Jesus can cleanse our sickness. Jesus can forgive our sins. This morning, if you are willing, then He is willing. But you have to come to Him. Just as you are, broken and scarred and beat up, just come to Him. Say, oh, I need, to, I need to clean myself up and get my things in order. Friend, if that's the case, you'll never come. You'll never come. So how do these truths apply to your life today? Well, that's a personal thing between you and the Lord. If you're like me, you read through these passages and you say, my gracious, the Lord's powerful. He's alive. He can do anything. And it makes you just want to launch out in obedience, as it should. But a lot of times, before we're obedient to do what God's calling us to do, we let the how get in the way. Right? Don't we? There's parents today that you think, man, I want to raise my children to fear the Lord, to love the Lord. You know, the pastor talked about esteeming the Bible in front of my children. I want to do that. But here's where we mess up. Well, I don't know how. I don't know how. And so many times in our life, the I don't know how stops us. Well, I'd like to talk to people about Jesus. You know, people are more open to the gospel when they're on vacation than any time in their life. You know where a lot of people come on vacation? And they're open. They're searching for answers. You say, well, I think I'd like to do that. I'd like to maybe slip in Jesus when I'm asking somebody where they're from. I'd like to talk to them, but I don't know how, Pastor. Friend, your how is getting in the way. You know, I'd like to, I'd like to really uh, help disciple somebody. 
I really want to teach them maybe some things that I've learned and, and teach them some basic elementary principles of the faith, but I, I just I don't know how. Maybe they're going to think it's awkward. Maybe for an older gentleman to, to ask a younger guy to lunch. I'd like to do that, but I don't know how. The how gets in our way. Which is why Jesus promised the disciples, I am with you always. He says, I'm going to send you the Helper. Capital H. I'm going to send you the Helper that's going to live inside of you. And in that hour when you're worried about what you're going to say, I will give you the words. Jeremiah said, Lord, I can't speak. Son, I will put my words in your mouth. So here's the key to getting over the how hump. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. God will provide what you need in the moment as you go forth in obedience. What's your how today? Maybe the Lord wants to help you. He'll do the work. If we just shut up and hold on. He'll do it. He'll give us wisdom that we do not have. He'll give us courage that we do not have. He'll give us words that we do not have. He'll give us encouragement that we do not have. May we be a people that lean not on what we think is best. But God, we, gonna, we want to be people that believe in Your book. And Your book says that Your Spirit lives inside of us. And that You're with us. So God, as we go forth, God, we want to walk by faith. God, help us with the house. He can do it. He will do it. So how all this applies to you, that's up to you in the Lord. Jesus loves you. Do you know that? Have you been reminded of that lately? Jesus loves you. That's all you need, friend. Let's pray.